can you tell us about a title or two you've chosen for each this year? Oh, gosh, they will listen to this. They're very excited. (laughs) Girls, you might have to fast forward this part until January. (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 312. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, with just a few short days until Christmas, we have two great last-minute gift options to share. If you're still shopping for a reader in your life, treat them to a gift membership to our Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club or our Patreon community. Our annual Patreon membership unlocks weekly bonus content, many episodes, book lists, and more, while our book club memberships come in monthly, quarterly, or annual options and invite the reader into an online community full of robust discussions, live events with authors, and of course, monthly book selections. Visit modernmrsdarcy.com gifts to learn more and give a digital gift to a beloved bookworm this season. Readers, we recently asked our patrons to share their favorite holiday reading traditions, and we received so many delightful replies. For today's conversation, I invited one of our patrons to come talk about her unique book gifting tradition, and of course, to ask if I could be of assistance for any bookish dilemmas of her own. Kim Cordes lives outside the Twin Cities, where she curates annual book boxes to give her family members during the holidays. She's been gifting book boxes for over six years now, and it's a tradition her family has fully embraced. During our chat today, Kim shares how she came up with this idea and what she loves most about spending the whole year collecting books she thinks her loved ones will enjoy. Today, it's not book box recommendations Kim needs. Instead, she's looking for ideas on where to start with her own overwhelming to-be-read list. She'd also like some tips on giving great recommendations herself. While she's worked in bookstores in the past, she continues to find it challenging to describe a book in a way that makes a friend or family member actually want to read it. My chat with Kim goes in a fun and unexpected direction. In the midst of our conversation, I decided to do something a little wild. I asked Kim to send me live the link to her Goodreads TBR, and I matched my initial ideas for recommendations against her lengthy list just on the fly. I hope the books I pick help Kim feel especially excited about what she chooses to read next. After you listen, tell me how I did or share a book you think I could have recommended that Kim may enjoy on today's show notes page at what should I read next podcast.com slash 312. Let's get to it. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. We are recording here in December, and that means at my house, Will and I are starting to think about what we're going to get our kids for our Christmas book tradition that we started not that long ago. We haven't been doing this particular thing since they were kids, maybe just three or four years, but we give everyone a book on Christmas Eve. It's kind of our own Christmas Eve book flood. So I've really started thinking about what to get my kids and what to get Will. Actually, I got his book at the bookstore this week. He's going to hear that. I hope you love it, William. But I've only just begun. We were so excited at What Should I Read Next headquarters to hear about your own bookish holiday tradition. I hadn't heard of anything like this before, but I'll let you tell us. Tell us about what you do. I do, in a, in simple words, book boxes. I do them for my children and for my dad and my husband, but he gets a mini box because he is more of a digital Kindle reader. So mm-hmm. a little hard to put those in a box. Gosh, my girls are 11 and 12 now, and I have probably been doing it for at least six, seven years, maybe. I start at the beginning of the year with book sales at the library or bookstores, anywhere that you can purchase a book or even just find a book for free. And I collect them over the year 
and I put them all into a large box. It is one of my favorite gifts to give. And I have to think that it's probably one of their favorites to get because I do ask every year, you know, do you still want your book box? And they're like, of course, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just such a big reader and I've just been wanting them to be such good readers and big readers too, which they are. And I'm very happy about that. So whatever I can do to fuel that and keep that going. Okay. That sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want a book box? What inspired you to start this tradition? I have to give credit to someone else. So I used to work uh, in a bookstore. I did community relations, which uh, amounts to a lot of author events and things like that, working with the, within the community as bookstores are so important to communities. A friend of my husband's came in and she asked me for some ideas for her daughters for Christmas. And I said, oh, what is it that, you know, how many books are you looking for? And she's like, well, I do these book boxes every year for them. And I have, and the girls were in high school, I believe at the time, maybe even college. Mm -hmm. And she had been doing them since they were young. So honestly, that is what inspired me. And to be honest about what inspired kind of the all year is it actually is easier to do all year than to try to fit it in into the typical holiday shopping period. Obviously, this year, especially, if I had waited for certain books, I may not have been able to find them or get them. So finding them all year, knowing that my girls and my dad and my husband or whoever I'm giving the book boxes to know that some of these books are going to be gently loved books and some of them are going to be brand new books. That allows me to kind of branch out and look for them in half price stores or used bookstores or library sales. And I don't need to feel like I'm not giving them something of value, right? Or of worth because it's not brand new. I mean, honestly, and financially, right? To give a large box of brand new books from a bookstore, as much as I'd love to support my bookstores, might not be something that I can do. I completely understand. A friend of mine who works in publishing is always saying that a hardcover book is still such a bargain for all the work that goes into it and everything it takes to put a book together and to get it in your hands and all. But but still for avid readers who are reading dozens of these things, your book box idea sounds really smart. Tell me more about seeking out books all year long. Yeah, there are days when I seek them out. Uh, when I'm going to go specifically to a book sale or to the bookstore. But most of the time, the bookstore environment and the library environment are my calming places. They're where I go to relax, to decompress. Sometimes after dinner or on a Saturday afternoon, I just need to go somewhere and I'll just walk into the bookstore. And that's just how it happens. And I hold them all in my little gift closet downstairs. Right about the November-ish time frame, I start to look at what I've collected over the year and what new ones I want to add. So by the time November, December comes when I'm really in you know holiday shopping mode, I really only have like maybe one or two new books to purchase to kind of round out the box. Can you tell us about a title or two you've chosen for each this year? Oh, gosh, they will listen to this. They're very excited. (laughs) Girls, you might have to fast forward this part until January. My 11-year-old, she loves mysteries and eats up those Encyclopedia Browns. I mean, she's beyond that from a reading level, but she just Mm -hmm. loves mysteries. But this year, I'm introducing her to Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, I'm so excited for her and for you. (laughs) Yes. Really excited for her to open that and get started on that. And my 12-year-old, you know, she's in seventh grade. And oh, gosh, and she's at that point where it's like, is she young adult? Is she still young reader? What am I okay? 
okay with her to read. She still likes to go back to Diary of a Wimpy Kid because those come out every year. Anna put the outsiders in. I don't know if that's going to be good or not for her. I should probably reread it. I feel like she'll be okay with that. I want to know who puts together your box. Oh, gosh, Anne. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I buy books all year. I don't need the book box as much as I would love to have one. Um, I should probably just put things in a box and put it under the tree. But I do belong to book subscription service, you know, and so I feel like I get a box every month. So that's my treat throughout the year. Oh, that's fun. That's a great treat for a reader. I'd love to hear a little more about your dad's box. How do you approach that differently for an adult? especially fathers, grandfathers, uncles, just are so hard to buy for. My dad is a lifelong reader. He was a school teacher for 30 plus years. He just turned 81 and he only uses his glasses to read. (laughs) He was a history teacher, but he also loves fiction. And so I try to meld historical fiction with his I do try to get all hardcovers for him just for the sake of the print and print type. And just it's just easier, I think, for him to read hardcovers Mm -hmm. because some of those paperbacks, I certainly couldn't give him a mass market. He wouldn't be able to read that, I don't think. The ones where a 500 page novel is like just half an inch thick. Yeah, the bricks. Yeah. But his are challenging because he is older and has read so much. And Mm -hmm. since he's retired, that is what he does, right? Is he reads and he reads all day, every day. And he loves John Sanford and the Prey series. I don't know John Sanford. Oh, you don't know John Sanford? He's He actually was a re- journalist or reporter for the newspaper here in, in St. Paul and writes under the name of John Sanford. And he has these Prey series. He's also got another series. Um, I think it's the Virgil Flowers series that spun off from the Prey series. Prey is P-R-E-Y. Mm-hmm. My dad loves those. They're kind of like the thriller mysteries. I think they can get a little graphic, if I remember correctly. Loves those types of thrillers and mysteries. Loves, you know, Sue Grafton. He still reads all of the John Grisham Mm -hmm. books, those types of things. I've given him a lot of Eric Larson books Mm -hmm. over the years because of the way those are written so well and so entertaining with alternating chapters. His are much harder to buy than the girls, for sure. How's it going this year? Just ordered my last one for him. Leave Only Footprints, My Acadia to Zion Journey Through Every National Park by Connor Knighton. I believe he's a journalist that went through the national parks and it's just kind of his story. Kim, after you give these book boxes to the people in your life, what happens next? What insight do you have into how they use them? You know, of course, when they open them on Christmas morning, it's all, what did you get? And what did you get? And because they're so close in age, a lot of them are, you know, they can each read them. So they kind of pick what they want to read first, put that by their bedside or on their desk in their room, and then the rest go on their bookshelf. And I challenged them this year. I said, you know, when you guys get your book box this year, why don't you challenge yourself to try to get them finished by the summer, you know, by the end of the school year. And if that's too much, then at least try to get them done by next Christmas. They kind of nodded and thought that that was okay. You know, they might put them on a special shelf to be like, need to read first or, you know, my challenge shelf or something like that. I'm just going to work with them a little bit more on that and see what they think about that. And my dad, he does have special shelves in his 
his in his house. I didn't know that he did this, but when I was over there recently, I noticed that all of the books I have given him in his book boxes over the years are separate from the rest of his books. Oh, yeah, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that was really fun to see. Well, I hope this year's boxes are a big hit. Thank you. Now, Kim, we have to make sure that you have your own good stuff to read. Although it sounds that's not a big struggle for you. Well, it depends on what struggle, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. My bookshelves are full, and yet I still have that quote-unquote problem of buying more and then not reading everything that I have. So I do read a lot, but I do struggle with what to read. You want to talk about that? Because we have a way to do that here. Yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> so I do have a book club. So that always helps, right? I usually have two or three books going at a time. And then, of course, there's the library. That's your friend and your enemy because everything becomes available at the same time, whether it's audio or print. It's just like, your book is here. Your book is ready to download. You're just like, ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, okay. Hold for seven days, please. I struggle with that. How do I sort through and just really connect with a book that makes me want to keep going with it? There's so many. All right. Let's fill your metaphorical book box. You give people in your life that you know really well the gift books that you suspect they will be really excited to get a hold of and to read. And so let's do that for you today. All right. Okay. Kim, you know what we do here. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. And we will, I hope, do it in such a way that we assuage some of your readerly struggles and not add to them. We'll, we'll <laughs> okay. see what we can do. Tell me about a book that you loved. All right. So one of the books I loved is called Wild Swan's Three Daughters of China by Yung Chang. Nonfiction surprisingly, story of three generations of Chinese women. So it starts with the author's grandmother, then her mother, and then her, you know, starts from the early 1900s or uh, turn of the century into, it's an older book. So I think it goes into probably maybe the 80s or 90s. I think it was first published maybe in 93. What was it about this book that made you feel so, I think you used the word connected to it to describe books that you really enjoy? Yeah, I picked my three favorites based on having a real reaction to a, a feeling, whether it's being connected to it or whether it was an emotional feeling or something that just really resonated at the time that I was reading it. With Wild Swans, I happened to be living in Japan at the time. And this book was given to me by a friend I met over there. She was from Indonesia and she's like, just read it. You know, I'm like, I don't really read nonfiction. And, and the book is huge. And I do believe she gave it to me in the mass market format. So it was even larger than the trade. So I did. And I couldn't put it down. It was so engrossing, mostly because it was the right place at the right time to be reading about everything that had happened historically in China with this family told from the, you know, three women. I mean, obviously I was in Japan and not China, but to get a sense of the historical relationship between the two countries was just really fascinating to me. And I just couldn't put it down. Kim, tell me about another book that you really connected with. Going back to what made me kind of feel something, The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. 
the book with the dog. And I read this probably in my, oh gosh, 30s. The first book, and then I can remember making me cry. Wow. What a milestone. Yeah. So when I was choosing my favorites, I thought that one keeps coming back to me as a book that I was so engrossed with. And obviously, a dog being a character in the book is is always going to pull me in. Just that story. I have not seen the movie. I don't want it to ruin anything for me. Mm-hmm. I just remember this book as the first story, the first book to make me cry. And not just cry, but like sob. <laughs> like, not just the tear running down your cheek, right? I mean, it was like the hand me the Kleenex box, please. Kim, what did you choose to complete your favorites list? I went with a classic, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Why I chose this is that it was a recent read and it was a recent reread. And I don't recall liking it when I first read it. And I think it goes back to being in the right place and the right time when you're reading books. I read, I think it's called The Girl Upstairs or The Woman Upstairs. Oh yeah. The one that came out last summer. Yes. The retelling. I read that first, actually. You know, of course, all the buzz around it was around the retelling of Jane Eyre, modern Jane Eyre. And I was like, you know, I got to go back and read Jane Eyre and just kind of see. Oh, my gosh. It was such a different experience than the first time I read it. I mean, this woman, her independence, her frame of mind, how did I miss all this the first time? You know, I just found myself, which I don't do very often, grabbing a notebook and copying down those phrases and different things that I wanted to remember that she said. Goodness, what a character. And I missed all that the first time. So I'm so glad I reread it because it's now one of my favorites. How old were you when you read it the first time? Oh, probably in my teens or 20s. Yeah. You know, can't remember if it would have been a required reading. I wanted those, you know, fancy hardcover books on my bookshelf when I was in my first apartment. And I wanted to look impressive, right? That I have all these classics because they're supposed to be good. And I think it was just there. And I think I just grabbed it and started reading it. And I was like, "Eh, you know, old time, no relevance to today, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I was so wrong. I just love this book now. Kim, tell me about a book that wasn't right for you. Book that wasn't right for me was Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders. I have to admit, I tried this on audio and I was really excited about it because the ca- it's a full cast uh-huh. that does the audio. In that cast is two of my favorite people, Nick Offerman and uh-huh. Megan Mullally. Both of them are in there. I was just like, this has got to be a home run, right? It's George Saunders. It's, it's Lincoln. It just had a great premise. And I actually was thinking about giving it to my dad in his book box. And so I thought, oh, I'll just read it first. I had no idea what was going on. And, <laughs> and everyone did a great, it, it has nothing to do with or fault of any, anybody. I was just like, who is this character? And what are they doing? And is this the ghost or is this a real person or this, you know, I just couldn't track with it. You know, I'd be out listening to it, walking my dog. And I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on in this book. And I, when I find myself having to kind of rewind too many times, this just isn't for me, at least not right now. And maybe it'll be different on the page. I did not give it to my dad, by the way. There's a lot of swearing in it. And I still, even though he's, you know, older and I'm older and I'm certainly not a kid anymore. I was like, I can't give a book like this. So I didn't. I read the e-galley of that book. So when I'm doing this, the formatting is often a little wonky. I just had no idea what was going on. I didn't know anything at all about the story. And I ended up really appreciating it. 
personally, but oh gosh, as you're describing listening to the audio, I'm just remembering that feeling of disorientation I had at the very beginning of that book because I didn't know what he was trying to do. And it's really ambitious and interesting. And that seems to be a book that people either love or hate. And it's also one of the few books I've heard people say might be best read simultaneously with the audio in your ears and your Mm. eyes on the page because you just need a little extra help figuring out what is going on. Yeah, that's a great idea. That doesn't mean it's the right idea for you. Just putting that out there. Kim, what have you been reading lately? So I just finished The Turnout by Megan Abbott. That was okay for me. I didn't love it. I didn't not like it. It just was okay. I didn't finish that one myself. And I know people who adored it, but I think, you know, of course I was reading it during the pandemic era because now that's not as precise a pinpoint as we thought it would be. I mean, she doesn't write bright and cheery books, but that one felt a little darker to me than her books that I had read before. And so that could totally have been it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I honestly didn't know anything about Megan Abbott. And so I kind of went in hearing all this buzz about this and I thought, oh, that sounds like a really great story. And yeah, it is dark. I was like, whoa, wait, what? Then I was like, oh, okay. You know, kind of uncomfortable for me. Yeah, just, uh, it was just okay. I'm also about halfway through a new book called My Life in Full, Work, Family, and Our Future by Indra Nui. Oh, I don't know that one. She is the former CEO and chairwoman, I guess, for PepsiCo and just recently retired. And this is her story of not only how she got to where she was with PepsiCo, but what I'm finding really interesting about it is just her take on what is that balance between work and family. And she and her family experienced similar struggles of, you know, lack of daycare or trying to provide daycare on a last minute, you know, there was just a lot to it. And it was just not your typical kind of business CEO memoir type book. Mm -hmm. It, It goes a little deeper than that into how can we make things different and what she did differently in the places that she worked at and what she brought in based on her thoughts and her passion for work and family balance and things like that. Well, that sounds really interesting. Okay, Kim, let's recap. The books you loved are Wild Swans by Jung Cheng, The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein, and Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders was not right for you. Recently, you've read The Turnout by Megan Abbott and My Life in Full by Indra Nui. You are looking for books you really connect with, but what else? What are you looking for right now? What do you want to be different in your reading life? We might be talking about those struggles again, Kim. (laughs) Two things. I have over 1,100 books on my TBR list. (laughs) Wow. Right? If I read 100 books a year and didn't add one more book, I mean, we're talking 11 years, right? Goodness, that's a lot of books. And so that is a struggle. Secondly, I have a really hard time describing books to other people, especially when I'm recommending a book. I tend to be like, well, I liked it. It was fun. It was funny. I just can't seem to get into more of why this person might like that book, you know, without their eyes starting to glaze over while I'm (laughs) hemming and and hawing over what to say. I mean, I have my own struggles with my actual lists, and then I have struggles with recommending describing books. It sounds like what you're saying is your gut says, I think it's worth you giving this one a look, but just getting that into words is where it breaks down. 
Yes. Even after doing this show for almost six years, I'm constantly surprised by how difficult it can be, especially to describe a book you really love. Because what so many people end up doing is, I just really liked it. I know I just liked it so much. (laughs) And that's not particularly helpful to the person you're talking to, unless they really, really trust you. Yeah. Let's think about what we're going to do here because you have 1,100 books on that TBR and I don't really want to give you new suggestions. Kim, how do you keep that TBR? Goodreads. How about this? Tell me some books that you think you have strong reason to read but haven't picked up yet, but in your heart, you're not really like jazzed to read it right now. I'm going to try to describe the ones I think are right for you in a way that'll get you excited about reading them right now. Okay. I just sent you the link to my Goodreads TBR. Okay. Oh, and now I can see it. All right. Oh, so when you said you had 1,100 books on your TBR, you meant 1,100 books exactly on your Goodreads want to read list. (laughs) Oh, I recognize them here. So here's Dom Kesmero. I'm going to bet anything that came from Peter Heller in our 300th episode event. Yes, it did. No Cure for Being Human, (laughs) Kate Bowler. I think you'd like that. The Every by Dave Eggers. I have to say, I read the flap copy in the bookstore. That was funny. It starts by saying, why do we write this flap copy? Don't we know that nobody reads it and nobody cares? I'd be like, everybody reads it. This is the problem. Oh, you've got this Maggie O'Farrell book. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got all kinds of good stuff here. Okay. So I've been making notes as we went along of books that I thought you might enjoy. And I'm going to just see if any of them are on your TBR already. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm almost afraid. Okay. No, no, my plain Jane. Oh, this makes me so happy. I didn't really want to recommend a new book to you because you have 1100 books on your TBR, but you added this book to your TBR on October 19th, 2021. And so I'd like to call it fair game. Do you agree? Am I strong arming you too much? No, not at all. Let's go for it. Oh, and I love that you have bookshelves that are read, currently reading, want to read, but also book box ideas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm going to look at your started, but DNF shelf, just to make sure I don't recommend you one of those. So you really love books that you feel like you have a personal connection to that pull you in, that make you feel strong emotions. You talked about how living in Japan at the time you read Wild Swans was being in the right place at the right time with the right book, where the story really meant something to you, not just in your brain, but like in your actual place right then. And even the way you described Jane Eyre, I could see you connecting to her, not just as a character, but as a character with deeper meaning and a story with greater implications than just those 300 pages held on their own. One that means something in the larger sense, you know, culturally. Something else, Kim, that you touched on very briefly is that you have a history of working in bookstores. I do. I have worked in independent bookstore uh, in St. Paul that has since closed. That was actually my first foray into working in, in bookstores and fueled my passion for all things books. I mean, it, it was already there, but I think it tends to go away during college or high school when you're forced to read certain things. Mm-hmm. When that bookstore closed, I moved to a different bookstore that was more of the chain variety. But still doing the same work with the community, with the schools, with author events. Just loved it. The first book I have in mind, I think would be such a fun pick for you. The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. This is a new novel. It just came out last month in early November. It's so fun and clever, which is saying a lot because it's also a book about hard and heavy things. 
Oh, I'm enjoying it so much. I was actually just telling Will this morning how not every author could get away with this and do it well and do it right and do it in a way that the reader will appreciate. But Louise Erdrich writes herself into her own story as the bookstore owner, the owner of Birch Bark Books. Mm-hmm. Um, so she appears on the page, which is just this strange, I mean, my, my brain did a little hiccup, like, oh, that that's, she's, the first time she referred to a Louise in the bookstore, I thought, oh, that's totally what's happening, right? But let me back up. So this is a new novel set in the contemporary era, like set right now. At its center is an Ojibwe woman named Tuki. Very early, you'll find out Tuki went to prison for a long time for stealing a body. That was well-intentioned, more or less, but her big mistake was not checking the armpits. <laughs> you will hear how all that connects, but she went to prison for a long time. She does get out decades early, which surprises her greatly. And she ends up feeling just so deeply grateful for the quote unquote normal life that she never thought she'd get to live again. I mean, the first 30 pages will really make your head spin seeing everything that happens to Tuki. There's a crime of grand larceny and a romance and a restoration to normal life. But in the interim, she falls in love with reading in prison. It's the one thing that gets her through her time there. And she waxes poetic about why and what she discovered and what it meant to her. But when she gets out, she needs a job and she goes to the bookstore and she meets Louise, Louise Erdrich, (laughs) who says, you know, this is a dark time for bookstores. We're probably not going to make it. You want the job? Uh, This sense of humor just really permeates the whole book. Tuki in her mind is thinking like, can you not see me? Like I look like a tough lady. She said, who in their right mind wouldn't you know, talk to me and then feel like they had to buy a book. Like, I'll be great at this. Tuki loves her job and her normal life. And then there's lots of little vignettes about people coming to the store, browsing for books. Louise is making recommendations and so is Tuki. Oh, you love that book? Let me tell you what happens next. Oh, you're scared about facing your family because they don't like your boyfriend? Let me tell you about this book you should read. And they are all real books. And there's actually an appendix in the back that includes something like 150 books. Louise Erdrich references in the book. And I think as a reader and a former bookseller, I don't know if this is going to help you with your struggle, but I think you will find it lots and lots of fun. We need to skip ahead to when Tuki's most annoying customer, Flora, dies while reading. She's gone. And yet five days later, she seems to be back haunting the bookstore, trailing her regular path through the store, leaving books on shelves, Paper towels are being found in the bathroom and exactly the same, you know, frustrating, they fluttered everywhere kind of scenario has happened when Flora actually used the bathroom at the store before she died. So Tuki has to figure out what is going on here. That is the really fun, clever setup and listening to Tuki's inner dialogue going, I know what my husband thinks about people who see ghosts. So I can't tell him, but I have to tell him. (laughs) And she tries to figure out how do I have this conversation with people? Meanwhile, this novel is set in contemporary times and it is set in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. In the time this book is set, the pandemic begins and George Floyd is murdered. That actually took place just a few miles from mm-hmm. Birch Park Books. And those things make their way into the story as well. I could hear, by the way you described Jane Eyre, that you really have an eye for um, symbolism and deeper meanings. And those are so present on every page. And I think you'll find it really rewarding to see what Louise Erdrich, I feel like I can call her Louise now because (laughs) she's Louise in the book is the character. I just want to talk about the character. I think you'll really enjoy seeing what Louise is up to and also really feel touched by and connected to the story. 
It sounds awesome. Like you just said, you connected the local. I mean, I've been to the bookstore feeling that connection to the Minneapolis area and the events that she pulls in from recent years. Spot on. Very excited. Kim, I have searched the other seven titles I jotted down during our conversation and they are not in your TBR. Oh, wait, I forgot one. Oh my gosh. They're not. No, the eighth title is. You added it to your TBR on August 13th, 2018. Oh, gosh. The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down by Anne Fadiman. The subtitle is A Hmong Child, Her American Doctors, and the Collision of Two Cultures. Now, I was thinking about nonfiction books that read like novels when you talked about how much you enjoyed Wild Swans and other books that dealt with the intersection of two completely different cultures. Anne Fadiman may be best known, at least let's say, in book lover circles by her wonderful essay collection on the reading life called Ex Libris, Confessions of a Common Reader. Do you by any chance remember what inspired you to add this to your TBR? I'd have to check when I read one of my other favorites, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Oh, you just described how I like the connection between learning about something, but then also having a nonfiction that reads more like a novel. And I feel like this is one that maybe I just heard so much about and it just sounded very interesting and I could learn something about it, but yet also reads more like a novel. Now, this is a book that many end up reading as part of their medical training or like for their anthropology classes. And I'm pretty sure that's not why you added it to the list. We just discussed how you used to work in a bookstore setting, but right now you work in healthcare. And I wonder if that could be an interesting setting for you right now, like a connection to your life right now, because it is a book that also is used as a teaching tool for understanding cultural differences in healthcare settings and what happens when those gaps of language and social customs and religion are not successfully bridged and how devastating it can be for everyone involved, including, of course, the patients. And that's really documented in this story it, through the through the specific tale of one patient. Her name is Leah. She is young. Her family emigrated to California from Laos, I think. But she was diagnosed when she was very young with what the American doctors, but not her homeland doctors, call epilepsy. And that's what her family called a phrase that translates to the spirit catches you and you fall down. So what Fadiman does in this book is she takes the reader along on the journey of her diagnosis and plans for treatment and what they tried along the way and what they were the doctors were trying to accomplish and the extreme differences between the Western prescription for healing and the Eastern. Neither understood the other and it was devastating for mm. all. Um, this is a really moving, poignant book. And I can see you really connecting to it and finding a lot of um, meaning and emotional resonance while also finding it just intellectually fascinating. How does that sound? It sounds great. Pretty sure I have this on my shelf downstairs. And so it's definitely one that I've been wanting to read, obviously, for a long time. And um, I'm glad that you brought it to the front of the stack again. Now, I haven't delivered on my promise. I said, you tell me books you're on the fence about and we'll decide if they're for you or not. But we got one more slot. What are you thinking? All the light we cannot see. I added that on the 2015. That's six years ago, almost seven, because I added it in January of 2015. I think it's one of those where I felt like I should read it. I put it on my list and then I heard way too much about it. <laughs> if I go back to things that I added really early on when I first you know, started tracking things, 
um, that one always jumps out at me because you still see it everywhere. Oh, gosh, maybe I should read that one. Maybe you should. But do you want to talk about Maggie O'Farrell instead? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. So it looks like you just added this to your TBR last month after you'd gone by Maggie O'Farrell. This is her debut. I was a little uncertain about picking it up because the description read a little grim to me. This is not a grim book, but I was thinking about it earlier because you were describing wild swans and the intergenerational story it tells. And while this book doesn't take you through the three generations in equal detail, it's mostly focused on the third generation of our protagonist, Alice, the family legacy and lessons that have been passed down from one generation to the next are incredibly important to the story. (sighs) Maggie O'Farrell, have you read her before? I have read, I am, I am, I am. Yes. So you have experienced her storytelling style, which is really interesting. She's often dropping hints that go like, five years from now, John will find out why that devastating thing happened. But today he knows nothing. But reader, I just gave you a big clue. You know, the axe is, you know, hanging over his head. I mean, terrible things happen to people in Maggie O'Farrell stories. But there is so much love in this story. And I think that's really important, even as there are massive content warnings here. Nothing is graphic though. This is her debut. It's told from multiple points of view in multiple timelines. And you mentioned sometimes wondering the first 25, 50 pages, do I want to stick around here? Like, is this story going to be worth it to me? It may take you several chapters to find your footing and because of the way the story is told. So it begins in the present Something terrible happens in an Edinburgh train station, but you don't know what it is. You just know that Alice saw something completely shocking after she'd just gotten to town. She'd seen her sisters. She goes to the bathroom. She sees something horrible that completely throws her off her footing. And she says, I have to go. And she leaves to go back to London. And you don't know what that thing is until the very end of the novel, at which point I strongly suggest you're going to want to flip back to the beginning and begin reading again. But it may take you a little bit to figure out who's talking. Wait, who are these people? What timeline am I in? But it will become clear. You read all kinds of books that you enjoy and appreciate and understand. Like it'll become clear to you. I have confidence. Okay. It is a family story and you will hear a lot about Alice's family and her history as the story goes along. But that is all as backstory to her great love affair that you see in this book, which is joyful, even if it comes with its own share of hard things. Mm. And I think readers who really love Maggie O'Farrell like just not the story she tells, which I think are good ones. She does a really good job of taking you not just inside the relationships, but showing you what they mean in context of the family, of the community, of the larger culture they live in, which is so interesting. Um, This book also has a couple other just completely delightful things about it. My, I have a daughter who's obsessed with axolotls. One of the characters in this book keeps an axolotl. It actually becomes a metaphor of sorts. So I'm reading passages out loud about axolotls at the dinner table as I was reading this book earlier this year. I do think you may enjoy taking a chance on this. Like there's definitely a mystery. Like what did she see and mm. why did it matter so much? There's a little bit of a thriller element. And of course there's a romance And that family saga, like how do the crimes and shortfalls of one generation keep rippling through the family line and can that ever be stopped? Those are questions being asked here. Oh, that's awesome. No, that sounds great. 
Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. So I think I know the answer to this because I think one of these books is in your house. But Kim, <laughs> of the books we talked about today, The Sentence by Louise Erdrich, which is our only brand new read. Next, we have The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down by Anne Fadiman. And then After You'd Gone by Maggie O'Farrell. Of those books, what do you think you'll read next? They're all fantastic. And I am going to order the sentence today. But The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, I will read next. That is the one in my house. I hope you can find it. <laughs> yes. Kim, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking books with me today and for inspiring us all with your book box tradition. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. I really enjoyed it. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Kim, and I'd love to hear about your own holiday book traditions as well as what you think she should read next. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 312. That's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. We share snippets from the show and other bookish fun over on Instagram at what should I read next, and we'd love it if you'd follow us there. Be sure to tag us if you post about a book we've discussed on the show. I'm on Instagram too at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Stay up to date with What Should I Read Next with our weekly newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter, and we'll show up each week with a short and sweet message and an episode preview right in your inbox. If you've enjoyed listening to our show this year, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews make it easier for new listeners to discover our show. It would be such a gift to us this season. Please make sure you're subscribed in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and more. We're off next week for the holidays, but check back at the beginning of January for more readerly recommendations and good talk about all things books and reading. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.